Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today, because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold, but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Run. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart, Brian. Broadened on the breast of his check shirt. Two of his comrades instantly raised the wounded man and bore him forward. The remainder rushed with a shout upon the second mate and disarmed him, though not before he had fired again and sent a bullet through the left arm of one of his assailants. The men were still struggling with the second mate when a figure sprang up through the companion, closely followed by a second, and Captain Staunton's voice was heard exclaiming, "'Good heavens! Mr. Carter, what is the meaning of this? Back, men! Back for your lives! How dare you raise your hands against one of your officers!' The men had by this time wrenched the pistols out of Carter's hands, and they at once fell back and left him as Captain Staunton and Mr. Bowles advanced to his rescue. The newcomers placed themselves promptly, one on each side of the second mate, and then the two parties stood staring somewhat blankly at each other for something like a minute. "'Well, Mr. Carter,' at last exclaimed Captain Staunton, "'have you nothing to say, by way of explanation, for this extraordinary scene? What does it mean?' "'Mutiny, sir, that and nothing less,' gasped Carter, whose passion almost deprived him of speech. "'I thank you, sir, and you too, Mr. Bowles, for coming to my rescue.' But for that, I should have been a dead man by this time. Oh, no, you wouldn't, Mr. Carter, exclaimed one of the men. We ain't murderers, and we shouldn't have touched you if you hadn't touched us first. That will do, exclaimed Captain Staunton. If any of you have anything to say, you shall have an opportunity of saying it in due time. At present, I wish to hear what Mr. Carter has to say, turning inquiringly once more toward that individual. Thus pressed, Carter related his version of the story, which was to the effect that the men had refused to obey orders, and had come aft in so menacing a manner that in self-defense he had been compelled to arm himself, and further, that hoping to check the mutiny in the bud, he had shot down the ringleader. "'So that is the explanation of the shots which awoke me,' exclaimed Captain Staunton. "'And where is the wounded man?' "'In his bunk, sir, bleeding like a stuck pig,' replied one of the men, resorting to simile to aid his description, as is the want of seafaring men generally.' "'Phew!' whistled the skipper. "'This is serious. Run, Bowles, and rouse out the doctor at once, if you please.' Mr. Bowles sped to the doctor's cabin and found that individual already roused out. With an open case of surgical instruments on the table, and a drawer open, from which he was hastily selecting lint, bandages, etc., the medico having been awakened by the first pistol shot, and, like a sensible man, bestirring himself at once in preparation for the repair of damages, without waiting to learn first whether there were any damages to repair or not. "'Well, Bowles,' he exclaimed, as the worthy chief made his appearance. "'You want me, eh? What's the nature of the case?' "'A man shot,' briefly replied Mr. Bowles. "'Just so. Heard the shots. Where's the seat of the injury? Don't know? Well, never mind. We'll soon find out. Let me see. Tourniquet. Probe. Splints. Lint. Bandage. Um, um... Yes, just carry these for me, Bowles, there's a good fellow, and lead the way. So saying, the worthy man put a quantity of splints, etc., into Mr. Bowles's hands, and gathering up the rest of his chattels, followed the mate to the forecastle, where he at once busied himself in ascertaining the extent of, and finally dressing, poor Boyd's injury. In the meantime, Captain Staunton, assisted by Mr. Bowles, who had speedily rejoined him, 
had been holding a sort of court of inquiry into the case, and after much skilful interrogation, and the giving of a most patient hearing to the statement of each member of the watch, he had succeeded in arriving at a very near approach to the actual truth of the matter. This, he said, is clearly a case wherein both parties have been gravely in fault. I am compelled in justice to admit to, that you, turning to the members of the watch, appear to have received great provocation, inasmuch as there can be no doubt that you have been greatly harassed by Mr. Carter's habit of unnecessarily interfering with the disposition of the canvas set on the ship. I have, indeed, myself noticed this, my attention often having been arrested by the sounds of making and shortening sail during the night watches, when you all doubtless thought me fast asleep in my berth, and I have had it on my mind for some time past to speak to Mr. Carter on the subject. I should have done so long ago, but for my great repugnance to interfere with my officers, except upon the most urgent grounds. I confess I had no idea that the provocation had been going on for so long a time. The master of a ship, like other mortals, requires sleep, and doubtless many things are said and done whilst he is taking his rest, of which he can know nothing, unless they are brought to his notice by others. It was therefore manifestly your duty, in justice to me as well as in obedience to the law, to make complaint to me of any grievances of which you may have considered yourselves the victims, and that, instead of doing so, you took it upon yourselves to resent your grievances by refusing obedience to the orders of your officer, constitutes your offense, an offense which, in my opinion, has been sufficiently punished by the wounds inflicted upon two of your number. You have satisfied me that your lapse of duty was in reality a matter strictly between yourselves and the second officer, and in no wise a defiance of my authority, or I suppose I need scarcely say I should not take this lenient view of your conduct." "'As for you, Mr. Carter,' the skipper resumed after a pause, "'you have placed me in the very unpleasant position "'of being compelled to suspend you from duty "'until the arrival of the ship at Sydney. "'You have proved yourself incompetent to command a watch "'with that tact and moderation "'which is so essential to the safety of a ship "'and the comfort of those on board. "'And, led away by your heat of temper, "'you have hastily and unnecessarily resorted "'to measures of extreme violence.' which might, had the men been of similar temper, have led to a dreadful disaster. You may retire to your cabin, sir. Mr. Bowles, do me the favor to call Mr. Dashwood. Young Dashwood was found sitting on his chest, dressed and ready for any emergency. The entire occupants of the ship being by this time on the qui vive, and he was therefore in the presence of the skipper within a minute of the mention of his name. To him Captain Staunton at once delegated the command of the starboard watch, saying at the same time a few words expressive of confidence in his prudence and seamanship. "'One more word, men,' said the skipper, again addressing the watch. "'I have suspended Mr. Carter, not because I regard you as in the right, or as in any way justified in your behavior, but because he was manifestly wrong. I must therefore very earnestly caution you, one and all, against again refusing obedience to any commands issued by your officers.' If those commands are such as to constitute a substantial grievance, or if they should by any chance be such as to manifestly imperil the safety of the ship or the lives of any of those on board, I am always to be found, and the matter must at once be referred to me. I shall always be ready to protect you from tyranny or intemperate treatment, but remember from this time forward there must be nothing even remotely resembling insubordination. Now go back to your duty." 
the men walked quietly away forward, and Captain Staunton, accompanied by Mr. Bowles, retired below to make an immediate entry of the occurrence in the official log-book. The occupants of the saloon were naturally greatly exercised by the event, which formed the staple of conversation next day. It was interesting to observe the way in which the subject was regarded by the various members of the little community. O'Reilly, the editor of the Galatea Free Press, was wild with excitement at contemplation of the narrow escape they had had from a mutiny and its attendant fight, and he exhibited a curious study of mingled irritation and satisfaction, of irritation that the fight had not come off, and of satisfaction that he had not been compelled to take up arms against any of the foxhole hands, every one of whom he regarded in his free-hearted way as a personal friend, and with every one of whom he was a prime favorite. The ladies, who really understood nothing whatever of the merits of the case, with that unerring instinct which invariably leads them to a right conclusion, sided unanimously with the seamen, while a few of the more timid among the male passengers regarded Carter as a sort of hero-martyr, Mr. Dale being especially loud and indiscreet in his denunciations of the recklessness manifested in encouraging the mutinous rascals in their defiance of authority. "'It will end,' he dismally prophesied, "'in all our being murdered in our beds some night. Oh, dear, I wish I had never come to see.' Brooke and one or two more, though they said little, went about the ship for some few days afterwards in evident perturbation of mind, though, to do them justice, had they been obliged, they would have doubtless fought and fought well. Rex Fortescue, perhaps, took matters the most coolly of any. He not only went himself forward, as usual, to hear the yarn spinning and smoke his cigar on the forecastle during the dog-watches, but he also took Violet with him, he having noticed long before that the presence of a lady was always sufficient to ensure the strictest decorum on the part of the men. Thus showing the crew, as clearly as he could, that he at least had no doubt of their loyalty. Carter's suspension from duty removed the only discordant element which had ever revealed itself on board, as far as the crew of the ship were concerned. And thenceforward matters went smoothly enough on board the Galatea for the remainder of the passage, which proved to be a rapid one, notwithstanding the delay experienced in running the Cape. It was also an uneventful one, the foregoing occurrence excepted. Nothing further need therefore be said respecting it, than that in good time the ship safely arrived in Sydney's noble harbour, and, landing her passengers, began forthwith the humdrum operation of discharging cargo. End of chapter 4